Okay, welcome back, everybody. Yo, 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 what's good? What's good? Okay, okay. As you can tell, I am I am a bit, I have mixed emotions right now. I have mixed emotions about this episode uh, that is about to come to you guys. But first and foremost, how are you guys doing? Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back. I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. Uh, I did enjoy the playoff games this weekend. I hope you guys did as well. Uh, but obviously, we're going to be talking about that NFL playoffs, super wild card weekend, they were calling it. Uh, I'm glad we're now on to the divisional round. We got some really, really, really good matchups. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that a little bit, but I'm going to talk about some of the results. Um, basically, most most of these games, um, others more in depth, obviously. But uh, we're going to talk about the results of wild card weekend. Uh, crazy, you know, we had a couple crazy games, some blowouts, uh, obviously uh, an upset and so forth. So we're going to get into that. But first and foremost, I'm your highly favorite host, Isaiah Kidd of the Isaiah Kidd Podcast. Let's get into it. Shouts out to all the first time listeners. Shouts out to all the regular listeners. If you're a regular listener and you, you know, you continue to come back. Thank you. If you're a first time listener, welcome, welcome, welcome on the board. Uh, so let's get in. Let's let's just start with the Cowboys. Let's you you guys know why I'm here. Let's just start with the Cowboys. Let's start with the Cowboys 23 to 17 uh wild card loss to the 49ers. Um and uh, where, where, where do we start? Do we start with Dak? Do we start with the whole offense being anemic? Uh do we start with coaching and Mike McCarthy? Um like where do we start? Depend like there's just so much. Now, first and foremost. The last, I must say this, because this is important, this is critical, and I've been talking about this, especially when I talk about the Cowboys, I've been talking about this particular thing. The last three, the last three to four minutes of that football game, Cowboys 49ers, that was, that, that can be shown, that can be shown as a tutorial video of how not to manage the clock, how to improperly mistime manage the clock because what you saw the last three four minutes of that game was just poor quarterbacking poor judgment poor decision making first and foremost Jimmy Garoppolo he didn't give Trent Williams all pro left tackle once he shifted he didn't give him time to set Jimmy Garoppolo has, you know, they call it illegal, uh, legal, legal shift. And Garoppolo, even though the, the obviously the, the penalty was on Trent Williams, Garoppolo as the quarterback and as the leader of the offense has to make sure that all his guys are set. And that's just a bonehead mistake by Garoppolo. So that's the first and foremost. If, if Garoppolo just let Trent Williams get set, and he converts the fourth inches, which he probably would have. The game is over. The game, the game, the game itself is over, and we don't even have that last offensive possession by the Cowboys. So that's first and foremost, and that's that's one of the main reasons why the 49ers drafted Trey Lance. That's one of the main reasons why they they moved heaven and earth to go up and trade and go up and get dra- and draft Trey Lance because. They realize Jimmy Garoppolo, yes, the, the Niners are hot right now. They look very dangerous, but they also know two things can be true. Two things can be true. Yes, the 49ers are hot. 
they have a recipe for winning, um, and they look very dangerous. But also, we know, and I think they know, this is Jimmy Garoppolo in the second half of that football game showed them why uh, the future looked a little dim for him in San Francisco, and that's why they drafted Trey Lance. Now, on to the Cowboys, where clock management and situational football has not been their best. It's it's not their best thing at all. And that's what, honestly, if you want me to be honest, you know, you're looking at, you, you look at the box score and so forth. Obviously, the offensive line didn't play well. Um, but, you know, the yardage and the time possession obviously went to the San, obviously went San Francisco's way. But the 14 penalties, I don't care. Like, 14 penalties, I don't care how talented you are, you are you're not going to be able to win a playoff game. I mean, yet any game, really, but especially a playoff game, you're not going to be able to win a playoff game versus a well-coached team, button-up team, with 14 penalties. It's just unacceptable, and and it's it only it only cost them 89 yards. But it's the mere fact that 14 penalties is just unacceptable, and a lot of that goes to being undisciplined. A lot of that goes to Mike McCarthy, which is, I find it, I mean, to me, Mike McCarthy has been a coach in this league for over a decade. I just find it unacceptable that his team was this, un- was this undisciplined the whole year, really. The Cowboys were the most penalized team this year. That goes down to coaching. And with Mike McCarthy, uh, like I said, the la- that, that, that last offensive possession, or really that last play, first, Dak. Obviously, so uh, allegedly Kellen Moore called the play. Mike McCarthy was in the headset. Mike McCarthy gave the play an okay. And with 14 seconds left, you have a – you call a quarterback draw. A quarterback draw – with no timeouts, and you're going right into the middle of the field. The middle of the field is your enemy. Your best friend is the sideline, so you can get out of bounds. And prior, in plays, three plays prior to that, the Cowboys got really good games. They got really good games out of the passing out of the passing game. You you think about it, San Francisco. What's San Francisco's main weakness? Their secondary. What's the Cowboys? What's one of the Cowboys' strengths? They're one of their biggest strengths. Receiving core. Why didn't the why didn't the Cowboys continue to do what they were doing that that got them down the field that far? The previous three plays, you had a 10-yard gain, a nine-yard gain, and then another 10-yard gain. You got 30 plays, you got 30 yards in a in, in three plays. So uh, there's just a lot of head scratching. Uh, it's but it's been this way throughout the entire year for the Cowboys, especially in their losses, where there's just head scratching decision making and situationally I've always I've been talking about this with the Cowboys really since the start of the season situationally they are not good and they have not been good all year their talent has you know obviously they beat up on the NFC East right uh, and their six other wins came up against, you know, I'm not going to say subpar teams, but teams that didn't, that, like, they don't have a lot of quality wins this year. That was the knock on the Cowboys. They didn't have a lot of quality wins. They they went on the road. They lost Tampa Bay. They went, excuse me, they went on the road and lost to Kansas City. 
Thanksgiving Day, they lost to the Raiders. Arizona comes to Dallas. They lost. To, they lose to Arizona. So it's just not a lot of quality victories with like lumped into their in, into their schedule. And Dallas all year long has just been talented, explosive offensively, but the the actual like situational stuff. It, it it doesn't click. And going into l- last week, I, I ranked the Cowboys in my top 10. I think I had them around uh, six or seven. And I, I obviously talked about how talented they are. But then I talked about how they scared me because situationally, in situational football, I don't trust Mike McCarthy. And I've been talking about this literally since October. I've said, hey, Mike McCarthy, I think Mike McCarthy is going to be, he is going to be the thorn that's going to hold this team back. He's going to be he's going to be the reason why this team is getting held back and they don't make a deep playoff run. Cuz this team, you look at the talent up and down and I, and I I know people are tired of like hearing about the talent, but like you look up and down, they're good enough to win playoff games. But the coaching for over the last for a very long time now, this is this is this is more than Mike McCarthy. We're talking about Jason Garrett and you know I, like for the past 20 years, the Cowboys coaching has been underachieving and awful and average at best. And I'm just looking at the quarterbacks that advanced this weekend, <clears throat> you know, Josh Allen and Sean McDermott and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, Sean McVay, Matt Stafford, like, and Dak... <clears throat> Dak, and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to get to Dak, too. He he had a performance of 23 of 43, 254 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Uh, that that That's not $40 million worth. The Cowboys don't pay Dak Prescott $40 million to beat the NFCs, to win the NFCs. That, that, that's not why they're paying him $40 million. They're paying him $40 million, so when it's time to make those big, those big time throws, those big boy throws, he makes them, and he does. And Dak just failed to do that. And you got and people know, you know, if you're if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know, I've been really supportive of Dak, and I have praised Dak because of his, you know, because of his improvement. But Dak, it, it, these last this the last couple of weeks, you know, outside of the, the division games, Dak is look he's. The offense itself as a, as a whole has looked anemic. And we could talk about Zeke and the amount of, you know, the amount of touches and the amount of snaps that he sees. We can argue about that all day long. But with that, I think with the, the two guys that we really need to evaluate and look at is Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott. And with the whole Dak Prescott situation, we all know the contract and the money that the Cowboys gave Dak Prescott this past offseason. So <laughs> it's going to be really, really difficult for the Cowboys to move off of Dak Prescott. So you know what that means. That means Mike McCarthy is going – he's going to have to be the guy that the that Jerry Jones and this front office really hardly evaluates. And they have already said – they're not gonna fire. They're not gonna fire Mike McCarthy. But if the Cowboys want to get over this hump and um, 
have a chance to really like do some damage in the postseason, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to find a new coach. They're gonna have to move off of Mike McCarthy. Simple as that. They're gonna have to move off of Mike McCarthy. I, I, I there's a there you know you got a couple good candidates at you know as your coordinators Dan Quinn Keller Moore, they're really good candidates. Uh, I like Brian Dayball. Uh, somebody mentioned Brian Dayball to me. I th- I thought that would be a really good hire if that was the case, but uh, I, I highly doubt that Mike McCarthy uh, is gone because Jerry historically has a trend with um with keeping coaches and giving coaches long leashes. But I, you once you find the pro- once you identify the problem and you find the problem. It's now it's now time to get rid of it. And like I said, Dak, you know, you, I looked at Josh Allen this weekend. I watched Patrick Mahomes this weekend. <laughs> I watched Joe Burrow this weekend. And I watched Tom Brady this weekend. Dak, Dak is closer to Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Ryan Tannehill. Then he actually is to Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. Like he's like the way he played versus San Francisco, he looked closer to Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr than he did Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen. That's a problem, but that's an expensive problem. An expensive problem you can't get rid of. So, Mike McCarthy, that's your next result. And honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. Dak does, at least Dak has his days. At least Dak has certain games where you're like, okay, Dak, Dak kind of looks like a top team. A top, he, he likes an elite quarterback. At times, at times, not all the time, not most of the time, not half of the time, but at times, Dak does show flashes. Oh, this guy is, he's elite. He like, he, he like an A quarterback. Mike McCarthy. Throughout his two years with the Cowboys so far, when when has there ever been a point where you sat back and said, wow, Mike McCarthy, he really outcoached the opposing coach this week? I've I, I watched every Cowboy game this year. I have yet to be able to say that. I have never said that. I have never said Mike McCarthy has outcoached, another, outcoached the opposing coach. I, I like so I think you know with Dak I don't I don't think he's talented enough to overcome an average coach because essentially that's what the Cowboys have they have an average coach and with Dak I don't think Dak is an A quarterback I don't think he's an elite quarterback I think Dak is a B to B plus quarterback he's a B to B plus Josh Allen, Mahomes, those are A's. Those are those are A's. Those guys are on different levels, as you saw this past weekend. Those guys are on different levels. That's why they're going to be playing this upcoming week. But Dak, with like I said, I I praise him for his improvement. I give him a lot of props and a lot of kudos for the way how he bounced back from his ankle injury from last year. Because you know I don't think that gets talked about a lot. Because the week one showing, he just put on a masterpiece in week one. And it's like we we kind of forgot about the injury and so forth. 
the ankle injury, but I give him kudos for that. Dak, I, I Dak, I like him from from chest up. I like Dak. Now, as far as the arm and the mobility, he he's just not he's just not talented enough to be able to overcome average coaching. Mike McCarthy is an average coach at this point. He's an average coach, and Dak is a B quarterback. Sometimes some he has his days where he looks like an A quarterback, but he's a B quarterback. And if you if you put a B quarterback with an average coach, this is what you get. Get a lot of regular season wins, you know, win your division. But when you're going up against Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and Bruce Arians, <laughs> hell, even Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, when you're going up against coaching and quarterback tandems that, you know, Stafford, I don't think Stafford is a, a quarterback, but he got an A coach in Sean McVay. Sean McVay is a Sean McVay is a is an offensive mastermind. I don't think I damn sure don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is an A quarterback, but the guy Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan dials it up pretty well. Aaron Rodgers, you know, a lot of people are not gonna give Matt Lafleur a lot of credit, but Matt Lafleur, I think, is something to be said that his first three years he has thirteen or more wins as the Packers coach. I think that's I think that that says something. Yes, Aaron Rodgers is great and masterful and wonderful, but Matt LaFleur can coach. And then Bruce Arians, you know, I don't think he's necessarily an A coach, but I think he's a really, 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 really good coach. And obviously, he has Tom Brady as quarterback. Enough said. Enough said. Uh, the Cowboys, like I said, they're in a financial bind. They got some really key free agents. They're going to need to resign this offseason. But I think the most... The the thing that needs to happen, the top priority, in my opinion, and it's probably not going to happen, but the top priority, if I was Jerry Jones and sitting in the front office today, I would be trying to find a Mike McCarthy replacement because he's an average coach. Simple as that. All right. So um, I want to move on. So actually, I told you guys last week, I did my top 10 teams last week. Um. I obviously there's there's not 10 teams left obviously there's eight teams left so I'm gonna do uh I'm gonna rank the remaining playoff teams later on uh in the episode so stay tuned for that that's kind of like my top 10 weekly thing but instead I'm just ranking the remaining teams so it's like top eight so we'll do that uh I have that that should be really good now let me get to I want to get I want to talk about the Cardinals Rams game. I want to talk about the Patriots-Bills game as well. I don't feel the need to talk about Chiefs-Steelers, uh, I must say. You know, farewell to Big Ben. Already, you know, I kind of figured it would end like that. But, yeah. Uh, I look really good. <laughs> uh, but I want to talk about uh, Patriots-Bills. And I'm a, I'm a, I want to start with the Bills first. <clears throat> Buffalo... Wonderful game. Offensively, you couldn't have played any more better than the Bills did offensively on Saturday. 
That's first thing. Josh Allen, I think when Josh Allen is that comfortable and he is completing his passes at that type of rate as far as efficiency, he's hard to beat. He's hard to beat. He's hard to beat. And, you know, Josh, you know, early on, you know, Buffalo was able to run the ball either with Josh Allen or Singletary. Um, And they just had their way with New England. And I kind of figured this had – I'm not going to say – this this game had kind of some blowout potential there because of the style of play with New England and Buffalo. Buffalo is more high-flying offense, vertical threat. Um, You know, if their offense is clicking – it's going to be hard to stop them. And with New England, they have a certain recipe that they need to follow and play uh, in order to stay in games because they don't have they don't necessarily have the same type of firepower that a Kansas City, a Buffalo, Cincinnati. They don't have that type of same firepower. So with 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 Buffalo, they did what they're supposed to do. They were I felt like they were the better team this year. Uh, they would have. I think I felt like they were the better team going into this game, and um, I just I thought, hey, they got to handle business. I didn't, you know, this game is at home. Um, you can force Mac if you can get an early lead. You can force new, the Patriots offense and Mac Jones to get a little bit uncomfortable and do something they don't want to do, which was throw the ball a lot of times. Throw the throwing the ball more times than they actually run it, right? And that's what Buffalo did. So hats off to Buffalo. They look really good. Now with New England and Belichick. Now, I think I've heard some people say, hey, Belichick has dramatically increased Mac Jones' trade value And you can use Mac Jones as trade bait to get an elite quarterback. Because there's there's some teams still out there that's in search of a young franchise quarterback, potentially. And uh, some names again thrown around and so forth. Let me not take that approach. Let me just say Belichick is fine with Mac Jones, even though you guys know how I feel about Mac Jones. And it's no slight. It's no. It's no slight towards him. I must say, he he overachieved. Not necessarily overachieved. I'm not gonna say overachieved because I pick, I picked the Patriots to win ten games. That's what they did. I felt like they were good enough to be a playoff team. They made the playoffs. I felt like with their style of play, it was gonna be really difficult for them to go deep into the playoffs. Turns out I was right. With Mac Jones, um, first first half of the season, he looked really good. He looked really polished. He thought he looked pro ready. That's what I thought coming into the season. That's what I said about Mac Jones. Even when the Patriots, even when the Patriots drafted him, I said he's a good fit. He's pro ready. He's going to be mature from day one. Uh, he's a highly accurate passer. He's a, he's a great. He's really good at anticipating throw and, and you know being able to anticipate throws. Um, I just thought good pocket presence. He's gonna fit what New England does. New England's not gonna ask him to throw for 300, 400 yards on a weekly basis. They're not gonna ask him to do that. So 
Fast forward now, Mac Jones, I feel like I'm, I might be right. I feel like I'm right about him. Last six games of the season, he regressed to the meme. No biggie. He's a rookie. And he didn't even play necessarily he didn't even play necessarily bad versus Buffalo, but you can just see the talent disparity in the quarterback play between Josh Allen and then Mac Jones. And you see it with like I, I also see it like with Joe Burrow and Mac Jones. I see it with Justin Herbert and Mac Jones. And it's okay because I like like I said, I tell you guys this all the time. Those three guys that I just named, and then also including Mahomes, those guys are gonna be like it's gonna be a couple MVPs out of that. Like Joe Burrow, I'm sure he looks he looks to be like he looks like he's gonna be on a path. He's on a trajectory where he's gonna be a future league MVP. Same thing with Justin Herbert. Same thing with Josh Allen. Josh Allen had you know obviously last year he had an MVP caliber year, and then this year he had a pretty good year this this year too. So the point is, Mac Jones. Let's just say Tom. Let's just say Bill, Belichick is just comfortable with Mac Jones. The next step for New England, I feel like, is you got to add some explosive playmakers on the outside. And I know, I know, I know, I know, last year they did went out and spend money. They they spent money. And I feel like the money overall, overall in general, I think the money was well spent. Hunter Henry had a pretty productive year. He stayed healthy for the most part. Uh, Matthew Judon, obviously, was I thought he was going to be an impact guy. Um, and then some of the guys like Kendrick Bourne, I, I felt like Kendrick Bourne, he had a pretty good season. I feel like the money overall, generally speaking, was well spent. But they are missing an element. They are missing a go-to guy. Obviously, I'm here, I'm seeing some rumors about Allen Robinson to New England. I think that will be okay. I think something of along those lines. Uh, obviously, New England also, they hit on the draft this past year. New England over the past several years have struggled in the draft. I think in order to booster this roster um, and not just paying everybody, you know, they're going to have to continue to hit on the draft. If they want to, if they want to follow up with Mac Jones, because you guys know, I think Mac Jones, I think you can win games with Mac Jones. I think there's a certain way you got to play in New England. They have a certain recipe. It was great defense. It was ball control. Being disciplined, no penalties, no like you know, no turnovers, efficient offensive play with being able to run the ball, control time possession, and then Mac Jones being able to make throws when they need to be made. So I, that's the recipe. Now, in order to take that to the next level, or in order to potentially raise Mac Jones' ceiling. I think you're going to have to add explosive playmakers around him. That's just my opinion. I think you're going to have to do you're going to have to do that. Because you you you're playing in a conference, Cincinnati, they got they, you know, Joe Joe Burrow explosive. Mixon, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, they they got an offensive core that's going to be a juggernaut for years in the division in, in the division that they play in and the conference. You look at obviously Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. You know, then Justin Herbert, and then you got Josh Allen in your own division to worry about. So I think the only way to keep up um, on this type of trajectory and with Mac Jones, can you know, because I, I think he has a defined ceiling. I think Mac Jones is more of a high floor type of player, high floor 
low ceiling. I think his floor is high, but I think his ceiling, I don't think is as high as some of these other guys, as some of his contemporaries. So in order to combat that and balance that out, you're going to have to put some really explosive playmakers around him. You're going to have to continue to have a pretty good defense, which I think the Patriots will as long as Bill Belichick is there. And continue the recipe and the formula that you have on offense as of right now. But I must admit, generally speaking, I was right about a lot of things Patriots this year. Uh, So that is good. That is good. Rams, Cardinals. Uh, Cardinals, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Okay. I, I'm not, uh, it's just, I'm not surprised. I've, I told you guys the Rams, I mean, the Cardinals first, I was never huge on Cliff Kingsbury, never huge on Cliff Kingsbury. I'm more of a, I, I like Kyler. I think Kyler is explosive. I think he's a dynamic playmaker. I think he's a wonderful talent. But Cliff Kingsbury, I think, is an average coach at best. And the last two times he's run into Sean McVay, Sean McVay has just completely outcoached him. And it's bad. It's bad. Like, the the wild card game, I, I was just, I was befuddled and just confused by the Cardinals' play calling from the jump. (laughs) From the jump. From opening kickoff, from the opening drive, I was very confused about the the Cardinals not, you know, just refusing to establish their running game, especially having James Conner back. James Conner had a really productive year this year. And they just refused to establish some type of running game and establish some type of physical presence with the Rams. People wonder, you know, the Rams, they're a physical team and people wonder how the 49ers are, how are, are, no, the 49ers just continue to have success versus the Rams. The reason why is the 49ers, they, from the jump, they established their physicality and they punched them in the mouth. You can't be afraid to punch the Rams in the mouth. But instead, the Cardinals, they drop back. They want to be pretty. And that's and then that that ferocious Rams front line, D-line, <laughs> anchored, anchored by Aaron Donald. They just got out of they just got after Kyle Murray. And then that's where it turned into a disaster. A Monday night massacre. That's what it was. A Monday night wildcard massacre. And I, I put a lot of this on Cliff Kingsbury. The, the, the play calling, just, I, I'm not huge. At first, I'm not huge on Cliff Kingsbury as a coach, but then the play calling last night, or, or I should say on Monday night, I just wasn't a huge fan of. But I always, I always thought the Cardinals had elements to their team that I like. I like the fact they can pass rush. I like the fact that they, you know, they had some explosive and dynamic playmaking. You know, they have that ability, but... <sighs> I, I didn't I didn't like this this matchup at all for the Cardinals. Um and it turns out they were one and done team. I was pretty right. Uh I didn't even have the Cardinals in my top ten list last week, if you guys noticed. because uh, I just thought they were they had the the makings of a one and done team. 
And now, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago while discussing Arizona. But now, if you're Arizona, you got to look at yourself. You're like, okay, over the past couple years, we've started off the season really hot. Kyler has got off to some really hot starts. But then towards the middle part of the season, as, as it gets colder and, you know, what, what happens? Kyler either gets hurt. Um, then your play is a bit inconsistent. And then clean, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, he often runs up to his division rivals and his division has some really good coaches, some really, um, seasoned and smart coaches. And then that's where the liability shows and he just gets smoked. And that's what we saw last. That's what we saw on Monday night with Sean McVay. Sean McVay basically did anything he wanted on offense, where the Rams on the other side, they had a two-headed monster featuring Sony Michelle and Cam Akers coming back off the Achilles injury. And Matthew Stafford only had to throw the ball. He only, he, only had, he only had to throw the ball 17 times. Matthew Stafford took the night off in the first half. Made a couple play action throws down the field. But most other than that, Matthew Stafford took the night off because the Rams were just, they were just getting seven and eight yards of pop. Every carry. And I feel like the Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury on both sides of the ball, but mainly offensively, they just failed to set the tempo and the rhythm of the game where they just came out and they just dropped back and started passing. They dropped back and started passing and it just gave the Rams pass rush more attempts and some confidence. Oh, they're going to draw back and pass? Okay. We get to rush the quarterback. And then it just carried over offensively where the Rams just had their way on the offensive line. So um, that's that. Those are, those are, those are some of the – those were the games I really wanted to talk about uh, as far as uh, the playoffs uh, this uh, past – the wild card weekend this past weekend. Super wild card weekend, I should say. Um, like I said. I think New England overall, they're going to be fine. I just hope, like, and, and it shows you, first of all, and also, go back, going back to New England, it also shows you how good Brady is. Because for the most, for the most part, for most of those years, of that 20-year 20, 20 dynasty, basically, that the Patriots had, their team and their roster was made up of good defense, being able to run the ball, um, not turning over the football, but average playmakers on the outside. Now, there were some years sprinkled in where, you know, Tom Brady had Randy Moss, Wes Walker, or later on, you know, Rob Gronkowski and, and Aaron Hernandez, where they had they had explosive they had explosive and elite playmakers on the outside but for the most part of that dynasty and that run brady had mediocre to average weapons mediocre to average weapons that's what brady was working with and unlike mac jones and and this is like i said this is no slack this is no slout no no slight to mac jones because this is Tom Brady we're talking about, but it shows you the greatness of Tom Brady and what he did with what he had. And you, you see and you look at it, and it's like Mac Jones, he has average playmakers on the outside, 
you know, ob- obviously still really good defense, still have some of the same, still have the same elements that Brady had. It's just that Brady was able to convert and keep those third downs, turn those third downs into first downs, being able to be, uh, being able to manage the game. So no slight to Mac Jones, but I think it also shows you the greatness of Tom Brady. Um, and with New England, you know, I think they got to realize, hey, Mac Jones might be pro ready. He might be accurate and so forth. He might be dead spot, dead spot on accurate. But we're going to need to bring in some elite playmakers in order to raise his ceiling. Simple as that. Uh, after that, after this, I give you guys my top 10 list. Oh, well, my top, my remaining teams list, <laughs> my top eight list of uh, of the playoffs or the playoff teams remaining. I give you that. All right. So we usually do this. Um, it's usually a top 10 list. Uh, you guys know how we get down. If you're a regular listener, I know this is usually one of the more uh, popular segments that we do, especially during the NFL season. So I'm ready to bring it to you guys. Top eight remaining teams in the playoffs. Here are my rankings. Let's start from eight. At eight, I have the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, the Bengals, like I said, I, I keep saying it, but they are they have such a they have a nice young core offensively with Burrow, Mixon, T. Higgins, obviously Jamar Chase, um, and and, and Tyler Boyd. I love what they have on offense. They got a couple injuries on defense. That's why I'm putting them at eight. Zach Taylor continues to he continues to show me. Maybe maybe Zach Taylor is the guy. Maybe he's a he's maybe he's one of these other one of these other um young offensive minds that's emerging in the league. Uh, so Cincinnati is definitely a team to look out for. I do think their road ends here. Um, I, they, I feel like they have overachieved um, throughout the year. They've overachieved by winning winning the AFC North. Um, I don't. I felt like the Raiders game was definitely a winnable game and a favorable matchup uh, for Cincinnati. So I'm not going to say they overachieved by winning a home playoff game, but it's the first playoff win. In 31 years, so I know people in Cincinnati are very excited about that, but they should be. They should be excited about this young team that they have, especially the pieces on offense. Uh, I like Sam Hubbard. I like Jesse Bates, but um, I still think there are a couple, still a, a, a couple of pieces away, especially up front. Um, and I think they run in. They they're going to run into Tennessee, where Tennessee is going to be able to physically dominate them and limit their possessions offensively. Uh, but Burrow is completing 75% of his passes over the last five games, but I think they have the weakest roster remaining in the postseason. At seven, I have the 49ers. Um, I, I, I like the 49ers a lot. Uh, I, I told you guys, they still, coming into the season, I thought they still had the makings of their 2019 Super Bowl team. Like they still have the makings. They don't obviously they don't have all of the guys that were on that team, but they still have the key guys: Fred Warner, Bosa, uh, uh, Bosa, Armstead. Now Debo Samuel has emerged into a superstar. Um, Elijah Mitchell, he, he you know he's pretty good. Obviously, they have Trent Williams. I think he's a Hall of Fame left tackle. They've won eight out of the last ten games. They have a recipe. Kyle Shanahan is a great offensive mind. He showed that versus you. He showed that this past Sunday. But Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't trust him. 
I don't trust in the first half of that Cowboys game. He played really well. He played it well. The, the 49ers, uh, they can they really dominated and controlled that game throughout the most part. Um, throughout the most part, they look like the better team. But I just don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. The 49ers are undefeated when Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't throw an interception. The problem is Jimmy Garoppolo likes to throw interceptions. So we'll see how they match up against Green Bay. I do think they are a tough matchup for Green Bay. Probably the toughest remaining matchup for Green Bay in the NFC because they can run the football and physically dominate Green Bay up front offensive line and D-line. They can do that to Green Bay, but it's going to the quarterback play and Jimmy Garoppolo coming to play and being ready and not being a head case. That's going to be the big thing. 49ers at seven. At six, I have the Rams. I feel like the Rams, they could be higher. Like their ceiling says they should be higher. But I don't trust, once again, and it, it may sound like repetitive, but Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford, Monday night game versus Arizona, wild card weekend. He only threw the ball 17 times. And that's great that the Rams were able to establish a run game, and now they have a two-headed monster in the backfield. But, <laughs> hello, knock, knock. They're playing Tampa Bay this week. And Tampa Bay, one of the best run defenses in football. So we know the Rams are not going to have the same amount of success that they had with Arizona and being able to run the ball. So that means Matthew Stafford is going to have to throw the ball more than 17 times. Now, I think when the Rams get too pass happy, I think when they get too cute, I think that's where you start to see trouble and you start to see the turnovers. Um, I also, but, but on the, on the flip side, I do think the Rams can cause some trouble up front. And I'm going to talk about that with the Buccaneers, but I got the Rams at six, by the way, by the way, OBJ in nine games, six touchdowns. So for all you Baker fanboys that were telling me OBJ couldn't play anymore. Okay. Uh, bills at five. F5, I got the Bills. Josh Allen, like I said, was incredible on Saturday. Uh, they they And the Bills, you know, look at that. The Bills were able to run the football effectively. Now, they're the first team ever with seven touchdowns, no punts, no turnovers in a postseason game. And mind you, they did that versus a Bill Belichick defense. The Bills look like they are, they're clicking on all cylinders. Josh Allen was highly efficient. The Bills were able to run the football the, the, the Bills' defense, the secondary, look really, really good. So, shouts out to the Bills. They have Kansas City coming up next. Uh, this should be an ultimate classic shootout between the two teams. I can't wait to watch. At number four, I have the Tennessee Titans. Like I said, they didn't play this week. They had a bye week. Um, I, I'm assuming that they're going to have Derrick Henry back. Uh, like I said, I think the Titans, this is a favorable matchup versus... Um, Cincinnati, uh, I think you know they were six and two without six and three without Derrick Henry. Uh, Derrick Henry is coming back, and now Tannehill over the last couple of games 
he's made just enough plays, just enough throws to get by um, and to win them these games. So I got Tennessee at four. I think defensively they, they, they caused a lot of problems up front. They should be really interesting. Tennessee at four. At three, I have the Buccaneers. Now, the last two, it's, it's, it's very interesting because I'm, I'm skeptical on the Rams, but I'm also skeptical about Tampa Bay in this matchup. Now, versus Philadelphia, they had a really good showing. I, that's what I kind of figured. I, I figured that Tampa Bay would be able to slow down Philadelphia's running attack, and they would be able to get a lead, and then that would force Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts to throw the ball a lot, and I thought that would play right into the hands of the Buccaneers. Now, the, Tampa, the, the Buccaneers, they're rounding into a healthy form, especially on the defensive line. Their defensive line has started picking back up. Jalen Hurts was rattled. Now they're gonna need that against the Rams. They're gonna need that against. They're gonna need. They're gonna need that against the Rams. And it seems like they're found. They found some type of balance offensively. But over the past two times, the last two times that the Rams and the Buccaneers have played, the Rams have won both games, and the Rams have just controlled their way. Up. They've had. Uh, they've just had their way up front. They had their way up front, and I think the uh, you know ultimately the, the Rams' pass rush it's going to be a lot for Tampa Bay to handle, especially with right tackle Tristan Wirfs having an injury. It should be interesting. Buccaneers at three, at number two, I have Kansas City. Over the past over the past what month they've been number one. They had the number one scoring offense and the number one scoring defense. They look really good. Um, I kind of like I said, I'm not surprised that they handled Pittsburgh. Uh, the first quarter was a bit shaky. They got off to a really slow start. Mind you, Pittsburgh, got, you know, they're working with a great defense. But uh, Kansas City, after the second quarter, the game was over. Uh, <laughs> like, the, the game was over. Uh, so Kansas City, they're running into form. Uh, their offense, the, the, you know, just the spurts that their, office, that, their, that their offense can go on, it's just amazing and so fun to watch. So I got Kansas City at two. And then last but certainly not least, I have the Green Bay Packers at number one. Uh, the Packers are my number one team. Uh, they remain at number one. They've been at number one for a while now. Uh, they're the favorites. I feel like they're the favorites. I, they, got a, they, they got a difficult matchup, a challenging matchup versus the 49ers coming up. But I think they, uh, you know, I, it should be a good one. I'm going to take uh, Green Bay at number one, though. Um, they're getting some guys back healthy, uh, especially on defense. Jair Alexander, the Smith brothers, Aaron Jones. I, I think, I, I think, yeah, Aaron Jones is back. They're getting healthy. They're running into form at the right time. Packers at one. That's This is my top, my top teams remaining. My top teams remaining. And I don't know if you guys could tell. I was trying not to give it away. But you can kind of tell who I think is going to win these games. And I should do predictions. Uh, I think Tennessee, I'm going to do my predictions. I think Tennessee, I'm going to take Tennessee to beat Cincinnati. I think Tennessee, I look at them, I think they're going to be able to cause havoc for Cincinnati up front. Offensive line play for Cincinnati is average. Uh, and 
Tennessee has been able to they they're they turned into a really good pass rushing team. They can really rush the quarterback. So I'll take Tennessee to beat Cincinnati. Uh Kansas City and Buffalo, this is a tough one. I think this is going to be an ultimate shootout. I think both teams get the 30. I think this like whoever get the 41st wins. I think both teams, this is going to be a shootout. I think both teams are going to be able to move the ball up and down the field on each other. But I'm going to take Kansas City to advance to the AFC Championship game. Um, I just trust Kansas City a little bit more. I trust Mahomes a little bit more than Josh. Um, I really think this game could go either way, and I hate saying that, but it really can. Like, I think this game could go either way. Uh, but I, I take Kansas City to win this game in a shootout. Uh, with Tampa Bay and the Rams, like I said, over the past two times, two years, that these two teams have faced off, the Rams have won. And they've kind of won in convincing fashion. I'm going to take the Rams to win this game. Um, I'm very skeptical. Like I said, I'm a little skeptical of Matthew Stafford. But I think Brady, Brady has the ability to unravel quicker in Tampa Bay than he ever did in, in in New England. And I felt like I feel like with Tristan Wirfs and his injury, the Rams pass rush and what I I like what I saw from the Rams pass rush and them being able to be physically dominant. Um and you know to be honest, the, the Buccaneers they're missing some guys in the passing game too. So excuse me. So I'm gonna take the Rams to win. I think it's gonna be a close football game. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a one-possession game. I think Stafford makes just enough plays to win the game, and he doesn't, you know, choke it up. But I take the Rams to win a close one due to their pass rush and making Tom Brady a bit uncomfortable. And last but not least, 49ers versus Packers. I need to sip my water for this one. This is tough because I think out of the remaining teams in the NFC, I think the 49ers may be the most equipped at this at this juncture. Looking at the injuries, looking at what teams are dealing with and so forth, at this juncture, I think the 49ers and their style of play might be the most equipped to beat Green Bay in the NFC. But I have a hard time convincing myself that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to make enough plays and or he's not going to just become a bonehead and make bonehead mistakes and bonehead plays. I don't trust my gut. My gut is telling me to take the 49ers in a upset at Lambeau, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to take the Packers to win a really close game. I think the Packers, they're going to do enough offensively. Despite the good defense that the 49ers have, I think the Packers, unlike the Cowboys, they'll be able to take advantage of the 49ers' secondary, especially with the Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams connection. And I think they'll make just enough plays to overcome and beat the 49ers. I'm going to take the Packers over the 49ers. I, like I said, I think this 49er team is really good. I think they have the makeup, and they 
they play a style of play. They have a style of play and a recipe that could beat Green Bay and that could exploit the weaknesses of Green Bay, which is their run defense. But I'm going to take the Packers to win the game. I got the Packers winning in a really close game. I, I think I, I would imagine it's going to be really cold in Lambeau. Packers win. Um, so, yes, that is that is going to wrap it up. That is going to wrap it up. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Real, you guys, I feel like I gave you guys some real, a little bit of real in-depth talk. Um, I may have, I may try to bring on a guest later on for the next episode uh, to talk about, you know, potential matchups in the NFC, in the, you know, in the conference championship games and obviously the Super Bowl and so forth. Um, some big news out of the NBA. Uh, James Harden, you know, obviously. So, NBA, also, once football season's over, obviously we'll talk about a little bit of the draft, but then we'll be really moving on to the NBA season. So we'll be we'll make a we're gonna make a I'm gonna try to make a smooth transition um, to the NBA season once the NFL season concludes itself. But the trade deadline is coming up, uh, so look for players to be on the move. And obviously, there's some notable free agents. And James Harden, I saw a report. I just thought it was big enough that I bring it up uh, at some point in the pod. James Harden could potentially be on the move, which I find I don't find really surprising. Uh, I think Harden, you know, when he was trying to get out of Houston, Philadelphia's one, Philadelphia was also one of those destinations that he wouldn't mind being traded to. Um, I think obviously the Daryl Morey connection. The Houston and Daryl Morey connection with James Harden, I think, really intrigues him. Obviously, Joel Embiid being one of the more dominant bigs in basketball now, uh, that can be like a, a baby Shaq, Kobe type of thing that uh, that could that could pair itself in Philadelphia. I think it's really intriguing. It's really interesting. Um, I'm not saying James Harden's gonna go to Philadelphia. I think my I think in my gut, my in my heart of hearts, I think he probably stays in Brooklyn. But I think it's really intriguing and interesting that he's giving Philadelphia a look. Like I said, I'm not surprised, though. You look at some of the elements that Philadelphia has, uh, it's not surprising. But should be interesting. But without further ado, I'll let you guys go. Uh, check in back with you guys next episode. Hope you guys enjoy. Always remember two choices, one decision. I am out. Peace. Deuces. Gone.